Praise God for the rain. Man, it's great. Yeah. It's awesome. We, we know as followers of Jesus Christ that God sends rain. It comes from Him. He's the one that controls the times and the season. He sends rain. And we are certainly grateful to Him for that. But I, but I know, as you know, that three days of rain, no matter how significant that is, has not cured the problem of the drought that we are in. We are in a severe drought. Um, it's interesting to me that if you look back into recorded history regarding Abilene, you can see when the settlers came into Abilene, they give testimony that it's hard to get crops going because of the lack of moisture. And so it doesn't seem like we're anything new here. In fact, you look through every one of the decades since recorded history in Abilene has occurred, and there are records of droughts throughout all of our recorded history. And here we are in a drought that really technically began around 2011, and it is severe for our area, and it's causing everyone... Uh, in our community who has any awareness of God's, you know, providence in sending rain to be calling out to God for rain. There are individuals who are praying for rain. They're encouraging others to pray for rain. There are churches who are encouraging others to pray for rain. There are churches having gatherings to pray for rain. And certainly we want to be a people who pray to God in regard to our needs. And so what I wanted to do today, I, I wanted to kind of depart from First Thessalonians for one week. We'll be back in chapter 2, verses 13 through 20 next Sunday. But today what I wanted to do is make sure that we are equipped in light of our current circumstances um, to pray biblically for rain. To pray biblically for rain. I, I want to encourage you to see why it's so important that we pray biblically. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 8, turn with me to the the Gospel of John, and let's look at chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth And the truth will make you free. It is imperative as followers of Jesus Christ that we are exemplified by the fact, we are characterized by the fact that we continue in the Word of God. That we abide in the Word of God. That everything we're doing, everything we're saying, everything we're praying is guided by and directed by the Word of God. Because if we make sure as followers of Christ that we abide in the truth in all that we do, all that we say, and all that we pray, the Bible says then we'll be a people of the truth who know the truth, and that kind of truth is what will really set us free. And that's the kind of freedom we are after. And we want to make sure that when we're praying, we are making our prayer efforts in such a way as reflects that we are abiding in the Word of God. We really don't want rain, ultimately. What we really want, ultimately, is the freedom that only Jesus Christ can bring. So we need to make sure that our praying is centered on the Word of God and coming out of that continuing abiding in the Word. Let's just talk briefly about prayer. Now, all of you who have been following Jesus for any time at all would have some experience in prayer, and it it really is communication with God. It's sharing with God the things that are on your heart verbally and uh, mentally, just from your heart and, and what you're facing, what you're needing. You're just talking to God and telling Him what is on your heart, what's in your life, what's facing you, what you want to see happen, what you need to see happen in your life and the world. You're just communicating to God, telling Him 
what's on your heart. And prayer is also, because it's communication, listening to God. Listening to what God has said in His Word, illuminated to your heart by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're listening to what God has said, and you're adjusting your life to what He has said. You're communicating with God, sharing with Him, listening to Him. It's a position of humility. When you pray, all the scriptures talk about prayer, and uh, when they talk about prayer, oftentimes there is this, this description of posture. You're bowing, or you're kneeling, or you're laying before the Lord. And it's just a picture that whether it's literal or figurative, your heart is bowed before the Lord in submission to Him. Prayer is a position of humility where you're submitting your life to Him, where you're coming before Him, and you're unveiling all of your heart, your needs, your wants, your desires, and you're saying, we trust you in all that you've said, all that you are. It's a position of humility. Prayer is also an invitation from God for us to ask Him for things that only He can do. He has asked us, invited us to come and ask Him for Him to do things that bring Him great glory in and through us. It's an invitation to ask Him to do things that only God can do. And one of the areas where we find ourselves wanting to talk to God and ask God for things that only God can do is in the area of our needs. We have needs for things, and oftentimes our prayer lives are motivated by what we need. And so Jesus addresses this idea of what we need and God's perspective on what we need and how that relates to our prayers. And certainly, we need rain. And because we need rain, we want to pray for rain. And we want to make sure we do it biblically. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Real quickly, turn back to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Let's quickly look here what Jesus says about praying in regard to our needs. Verse 7. When you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition of the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So he says, these guys who do not worship the God of the Bible, who worship these other gods with other names and other methods of seeking that God, what they're doing is they're trying to say things in such a way they get their God's attention They're trying to say things in certain ways a number of times in repetition in order to gain that God's attention so that they could then get what they're asking. And Jesus is saying, don't pray like them. That's not how you need to come at this thing of prayer with our Heavenly Father. Look at verse 8. He says, so do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. If we're going to make sure that our praying reflects who God is and what he says, then right here in regard to our needs, we need to make sure our praying reflects that we know and believe that God knows what we need before we ask him. You know what that means? That God knows what we need in terms of rain. He knows. He knows the condition of the drought Uh, for non-believers and believers better than we could ever know it. He knows exactly what we need, and He knows it better than we know it. He knows it before we ever ask it, and He understands our needs better than we understand our needs. And our praying needs to reflect 
that we believe what God has said about himself. Because that is the way we effectively pray. Jesus says, if you want to practice your righteousness here in Matthew chapter 6, then here's how you practice it. And then he says, if you want to pray righteously or you want to pray effectively, here's how you pray. Make sure that you pray about what you need. It reflects the truth that God already knows what you need before you pray. Here's what that means. God is not expecting us to come up with the right formula or the right words or the right amount of words to conjole him or to manipulate him into responding to us. He already knows what we need before we ever ask it. And we should not pray from the perspective that if we get enough people together saying the right things enough times, long enough, that somehow we're going to manipulate God into responding to what we need. No, God knows what we need. And we don't have to go to him like that, as if he has to be manipulated or convinced to act on our behalf. That's not how we're to pray about what we need. Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 18 about a certain judge. And the judge is one that does not fear God or respect man. He's doing things the way he wants to do it. He doesn't care what anybody says. He's going to rule his area the way he wants to rule. He does not care about what God says or what the people say. He is the person in charge and what he says goes. Well, this widow lady starts coming to him and asking for legal protection for a certain issue in her life. And he's like, I don't care what you want. I don't care who you are. I'm not going to respond to you. And you know what that widow does? She keeps coming back day after day after day. And finally, that judge says, I don't care about what God wants. I don't care what people want. But this lady's going to drive me nuts. She keeps coming and badgering me day after day. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to give her what she wants. I'm going to get her out of my hair because I cannot stand one more day of this widow's complaining. And he grants her her request to get rid of her begging. Jesus tells that parable so that we might know that God is not like that. That's not who he is. God is not unwilling to respond to our prayers for what we need. He's gracious. God is not uncaring. He cares. God is not unloving. He loves. And we need to make sure that we're praying for what we need in a way that reflects that God already knows what we need. And He understands this better than we understand. And He perceives it better than we can perceive it. I mean, how limited is our perspective? It's pretty limited in the scheme of all history, eternity, and God's purposes and plans. What we know about God's purposes and plans is what God has told us, and He's not told us everything. And there are some things that are unfolding every single day in our lives that reflect His purposes, and He is going to act in accordance to what He has determined will bring Him glory. You know what that means? That if God is acting every moment in accord with His glory and purposes, and He knows our needs before we ever ask, if He then acts in a way that maybe doesn't reflect what we think we need, maybe we need to reevaluate what we need. 
Because you see, everything that God is doing is for his glory and therefore is the best way to meet our needs, no matter what they are. We've got to understand that God knows our needs before we ever ask. And God sees the world at a different perspective than we do. And when we ask, he is not in the place where we have to manipulate him or convince him or beg him or put together the right formula or get enough people together where he will then listen to us. No, he knows. And he's ready to respond in a way that is for his glory, which is better for what we need. So, we should pray for rain, because we need it. But we must pray for rain in a way that reflects that we know and believe that God knows what we need better than we know it. And as He determines His response to our prayers, we embrace His faithfulness and goodness In all his answers. He is loving and caring. And we should pray about what we need. Now I want to address the issue of specific praying for rain. And how we should use scripture to direct and motivate our praying for rain. I want to encourage you in the use of scripture in your praying. That you cautiously use scripture in a way that reflects what God has actually said to us through scripture. Particularly in our praying. Let me give you an example. We just finished walking through 2 Chronicles as a church family. And in chapter 7 there is a couple verses there that are very popular um, for being used to talk about praying specifically for rain. It may be the most quoted verse when it comes to praying for rain in all of history. And uh, so you probably have heard this. Jesus says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, they pray, they seek my face, they turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. That's verse 14, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Now verse 13 says, if I shut up the heavens and there not being rain sent out, then do this and I'll hear the land. And the implication is, the clear implication is, if you turn to me, I will send rain on the land in conjunction with forgiving your sins. And so a lot of people will say things like, God has promised to send rain, which he did, if we will gather together and humble ourselves and repent and cry out to the Lord and seek his face. And they believe that they're praying for a promise of God to be enacted in their circumstances at that moment. I just want to tell you, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, is not God saying... That if we get together and pray and cry out and repent and confess our sins and turn to the Lord, that God's going to send rain on Abilene. Okay, last time I checked, Abilene was not the promised land. Now, you may like Abilene, 
But uh, it is not the land of Israel that has been promised to the Israelites. And God has not promised in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, that he's going to make Abilene uh, the promised land. Now, we would like that, I'm sure, but that's not what's there. What's there is this prayer that Solomon has prayed to God in the dedication of the temple. And God has answered Solomon's prayer in the dedication of the temple. And Solomon has said, look, if the people here turn towards you, will you answer? And God says to Solomon, if the people turn to me, I will answer. And his answer goes back to what God told the people when they were leaving Egypt and heading into the promised land. God told the Israelites, when you go into the promised land, here's my plan. I want to make this place, this land I'm giving you, the most blessed place on the face of the earth. So when everybody looks at you as a people, they say, how is it that their land is always lush, green, and providing fruitfulness? Because you see, God wanted the people of the world to look to Israel and see that God is God. And so he told them, you follow me, one of the blessings you're going to experience is I'm always going to send rain at the right time and the right way so you always have fruit, food on the table. And the world will see it and be amazed that I am your God. God also said to the people, if you do not follow me, I am going to shut up the heavens and I'm going to produce in your land complete barrenness that says to the world, you did not trust me. And so what you see unfolding between Solomon and God at the dedication of the temple is just the fulfillment of these promises in the answer of God's prayer to Solomon. I'm going to send rain if you will turn to me. If you don't turn to me, I'm not going to do that. He's just reiterating what he's already promised. See, this is not something that God has said to us. This is something God said to Solomon and Israel at that time specific to the land of Israel. Now, here's the truth. We don't want God to answer Solomon's prayer for us. We do not want the answer of 2 Chronicles 7.14 to be God's answer to us when we cry out for rain. We don't want that answer because, listen, do you want to have to turn to a temple in Jerusalem and pray? A temple that's no longer there? Do you want to do that? Do you want to live under the Old Testament law? Do you want to offer sacrifices on the altar of oxen and goats and bulls that shed blood that do not permanently remove our sin? Do you want to be involved in that kind of answer? Because that's the answer God's giving to Solomon. What's happening there with Solomon in the temple is not the answer we want. All of what's happening in 2 Chronicles is pointing to a king that's better than Solomon, who has answers from the Father that are better than answers to Solomon's prayer. We don't want the answers to Solomon's prayer. We want the answers to the king of kings' prayers. And Jesus says that he's standing before the Father as our advocate, as our mediator. And he is asking the Father to give forgiveness and justification and righteousness to everyone who trusts in Christ. And if we will trust in him, if we will humble ourselves before Jesus, and we will turn from our wicked ways because we embrace the king of kings, then God will will forgive our sins forever. And he will heal the drought of our soul forever. That's what we want. So, so listen, don't use Scripture in your praying that doesn't take notice of the intent of God's Word. You see, if you do that, it's just not effective. 
It's not effective. It's not righteous. In other words, if you're believing in something that does not reflect who God is and what God says, that belief is ineffective. At best, it results in nothing. At worst, it results in deception. If you will believe in what God says and who God is, then your faith is effective because it puts you in a place of experiencing what Christ has been promised. See, through faith in Christ, we receive all the promises of God. And the real promise that we're after is not physical rain. The real promise that we're after is about spiritual life, real freedom. And so make sure that your praying reflects the intent of what God has said. And in other words, when you're praying and you're praying for rain, don't use passages or phrases of Scripture um, because, you, so that, because you think it makes your praying more powerful. In other words, don't take a phrase of Scripture um, and pray it and think that because you're quoting Scripture in your prayer, somehow you've garnered God's attention. Remember, God doesn't act like that. He, he's not paying attention to you like that. He already knows what you need before you ask. He's already paying attention to you. So if you use Scripture in your prayer, and you think because you've quoted some passage of Scripture, particularly when that Scripture has nothing to do with what you're praying, you're not getting God's attention to answer your prayer any more than you would if you just ask Him, knowing and believing He already knows and cares about what you need. There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 58, 11, it says a well-watered place. And sometimes that verse can be used, that phrase can be used to talk about praying. And if you pray that God would make Abilene a well-watered place, and you're quoting out of Isaiah 58, 11, and you think because you've quoted scripture that somehow you're going to garner God's favor and send rain on uh, our town, I want to tell you that's not biblical praying. It's not effective praying. You see, that passage in Isaiah 58 is, is talking about God's people Israel if they would turn back to the Lord, that the Lord would make them a blessed people. And particularly, he's talking about an individual who turns back to the Lord, who then becomes metaphorically a well-watered place, a spring that will never go dry. The picture is that God's going to take someone who trusts in him and bless him so that the rest of the world is blessed through him. That's the picture in Isaiah 58. Guess who that's talking about? In, a, in, in Genesis chapter 15, God tells Abraham, I'm going to take your seed and I'm going to bless every family on the face of the earth through your seed. Who's that about? Jesus Christ. Who's the one that God's going to bless so that he's a well-watered place, so that he's a spring that never runs dry, so that he's a blessing to all people? Jesus Christ. The only way that we get to be a blessing to all people is through faith in Jesus Christ because he's the recipient of that answer. He alone is blessed to be a blessing to all the families on the face of the earth. Pray in a way that reflects who God is and what God says. And you will be effectively crying out to the God who loves and cares about what you need. If you want to be safe about how you pray, because the last thing I want you to do this morning is leave nervous about praying today. I'm not sure about this. I'll try, God. Forgive me if I miss up, mess it up. You know, Here's the safe place to be. If you want to leave today praying effectively, make sure all that you're praying is gospel-centered, gospel-motivated, 
It's about the spread of the gospel. Why in the world are we here experiencing drought? I mean, ultimately, why are we here experiencing drought right now in Abilene? Because in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God says he is patient. Not willing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Whether we're in a time of great uh, rain or a time of great drought, the only reason we're still in this time is because of the patience of God to use the church to display the gospel. So if you want to be in a safe place and you pray, make sure your praying is gospel-centered and gospel-motivated. This is, this is similar to what Paul talks about in Acts chapter 14 when he's in Lystra. When he goes to Lystra to share with those people there in that community, he begins by telling them in Acts chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, he says, you know, all this time God has been overlooking all of what the nations are doing, just letting them go their own way. But he has not left himself without a witness. See, all this time, all these nations have been going all their way. You know what he's been doing? He's been sending rain. He's being enable you to get a harvest of food. And so you sit at your table and you eat food and you're satisfied so that you might know that God is good. Matthew chapter 5 verse 45, Jesus tells us that God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Why? Because he's giving a witness to himself generally that the world might see that he is good and might see that Jesus Christ is the answer to the satisfaction they crave in their soul. So make sure that when you pray and you pray for rain, say, God, I want you to send rain because you can use rain to help people see that you are good. And what I really want is not the land to be saturated with water, but the people to be saturated with the gospel. If you could use rain to bring a witness to yourself, bring rain and more rain. But I want you to be reminded by Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, that our creation right now is subject to futility. It's in slavery to sin. It's a broken place. And right now, creation is groaning for redemption. You know what that means? That means that God at times may send rain and other times he may bring drought. Why? Because our creation is broken and our creation is groaning for redemption. And it's groaning come in the form of natural disaster at times. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 talks about this is what will characterize the end times. The closer it gets to Jesus' return, the more creation is groaning for redemption because creation is caught in slavery to sin. And just like we are groaning for Christ's return to revive us and redeem us fully, creation is also crying out and it cries out in the form of famines, disasters, earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes. All these natural disasters are crying out to God for redemption. And so we can pray, God, send rain so the people would see the revelation of you and be turned to the gospel. We know that no general revelation can save anyone. We want people to be open to the gospel. And Lord, we know that the end times are upon us and the creation is groaning. And that means that we are going to experience times of drought. So would you cause the world to see through times of the creation groaning that what we're all longing for is redemption. We want God to rescue us once and for all. So, when you pray for rain, recognize that it needs to be gospel-centered and gospel-motivated. And while we wait for the turn of Jesus, 
Never forget Romans 8.35. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall anguish or affliction or persecution or famine? No. In all these things we are more than victorious because of the one who loves us. Nothing is going to separate us from God's love while we wait for Jesus Christ as a testimony to the gospel. Everything is to be gospel-centered because everything is culminating in the return of Jesus Christ. And we need to be a people who are ready. And our praying needs to reflect that we're waiting on His return. Because someday, when Jesus Christ returns, we will never again experience drought. Ever. From the throne of God, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6, from the throne of God will flow a river of life. And on those sides of the river will be the tree of life. And every month it will bear its fruit. Its fruit will be life. And its, and its leaves will be healing for the nations. We will never again experience the curse of death or the brokenness of creation. Jesus is coming to make all things new. Do you know what you're really praying when you say, God send rain on Abilene? Ultimately, what you're praying is Revelation 22, 20. Come, Lord Jesus. That's gospel-centered praying. That's effective praying. And that ought to be the heart that's reflected as we cry out to the Lord. I want to encourage us this morning to pray. We're just going to take a few minutes as we wrap up our service and pray together. And I want us to pray for rain. I want us to pray for Stanley and the work in India. I want us to pray for Project Thailand. Some of you have been paying attention to the news. we got some issues in Thailand. There's some unrest over there. We're getting security alerts saying that they're discouraging American travel into Thailand unless it's essential. Well, we believe it's essential at this point. We have a need. Well, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that all authorities on the face of the earth are instituted by God, that He controls them all. That the heart of a ruler, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, is like a stream of water in His hand which God directs. You can look at the kings throughout Scripture, how God guided their ways and determined how authority should unfold for His purposes. We believe that it's God's purpose for us to be in Thailand for the sake of the gospel. Now, we're going to submit ourselves to the God who's in charge, who sees a different picture than us. We're going to cry out for our need, for enough stability for us to get there, be there, and return home for the sake of the gospel. But what we really are praying for is that God would do what God will do for the sake of the gospel. We trust Him. We need to cry out. There's several things that you feel like you need today. Apply what I've said today, what we've seen in Scripture, and cry out to the Lord. He cares. He loves you. He's ready for you to call out to Him. Just do it in a gospel-centered way. And then trust Jesus Christ no matter what. And you will find an answer to your prayer at the return of Christ that is beyond imagination. Amen? All right, let's just turn to to some of the people around you. And you guys spend a few minutes praying about those things. Just gather in a group, pray by yourself, whatever. We're just going to spend some time praying for a few minutes. And so let's just turn to the Lord and pray. And, And then when we're done, I'll close this in prayer. And we'll leave this place in attitude of submission to the Lord. Let's pray together.